You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me as always, he sure plays a mean pinball, it's Jeff McLarge-Huge. I've been deaf, dumb, and blind for an awfully long time, but I sure play a mean pinball. And uh, your supple wrists, they they don't really get enough attention if you ask me. One of them does, if you know what I mean. Waka waka. (laughs) Uh, what's going on? How was your week? Long, but it's been, you know, it's been good. A lot of teaching and uh, it's cold now. Holidays are coming. So, <laughs> it's, you know, it's as big as I can get. I mean, it's like anything else. You know, you're sort of in the midst of the strangest of all years. And how are you doing? It's okay. I don't want to sound like a high school senior, but I get the worst anxiety, especially about this time of the year. Why? Uh, without getting into like like really dark you know horrible stories about my family and all that i had an incident on christmas when i was like i don't i don't even think i was 10 years old where like my mom like laughed laughed at like one of the presents that i bought her like i felt horrible about it you know for the rest of my life every christmas i get this anxiety about whatever present i'm buying for somebody mm-hmm. because i just don't want them to laugh at me oh, I- yeah, I can I can understand that. That's definitely angsty. I'm not a good gift guy. I've never have been. Fortunately, uh-huh. in, the, in the era of Amazon, shopping is made simple by having children who just send me links to what they want, and then I yes. purchase it, and I purchase it and have it wrapped so it doesn't look like it was wrapped by somebody who's wearing oven mitts and a blindfold <laughs> and is being attacked by Shakma while I try <laughs> to wrap my gifts. So... <laughs> Who asked for a door for Christmas? Right? Like, ah, a, you know, I'm trying to write the name on the tag that it's from Santa, and it just says, help me, Shakma. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. We, it's definitely a weird thing. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it for birthdays. I'm not good at it in, you know, relationships that I'm in. You know, it's always like, hey, you know, it's our anniversary. And I'm like, it's the what now? You know? Uh, oh, was I sp- Oh, jeez. You know, look, I'm... Here you can have a can. I have a can. You can recycle this. It's like worth a nickel. Um. <laughs> One year for Christmas, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she got me a hoodie which didn't fit, and she got me. And I'm not even making this up. This is this is my girlfriend now. She got me a dictionary. You know, Bill, these sound um, like Valentine's Day gifts and not Christmas gifts to me. Yeah, no, it was. It was a it was a Christmas <laughs> present. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she got me. A, yeah, how romantic, huh? How romantic. Um, I know she got me the dictionary. If it was Valentine's Day, I was just like opened up to romance in the dictionary and just like shoving in her face. It's like, 
Instead, you can open up to Christmas and be like, annual celebration, whereupon gifts are... Oh, good God. Yo, I wish it was a thesaurus. I would have looked up another word for thoughtless. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. she got me a dictionary because she says that I was always making jokes with like big or unusual words. And I'm like, well, yeah, and I don't need a dictionary because I already, you know, I kind of have these at my disposal, but thanks. Yeah, a, a dictionary. Oh, my God. Well, how ostentatious of me, Fee. Yeah. <laughs> how how gaudy. Yeah. How gaudy. Good heavens. <laughs> I had no idea I was so literate. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, so. thanks. And, and yes. like I said, and a hoodie that didn't fit. It's Well, it sort of symbolizes our relationship. Every time we're together, I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to keep this all long, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, thank God I only have to wear it when you're around. <laughs> Why is your face turning all blue? Shut up. <laughs> I love getting gifts of aspirational clothes from my significant others. I'm never going to fit in this. Oh, you will if you stop eating that pizza. Like, oh, God <laughs> damn it. You know? Yeah, what are you saying, honey? Like, hey, you know, why don't you just buy me a Weight Watchers membership, okay? The gift that keeps on giving. The tag on it says, too tubby. <laughs> none of this has ever happened to me but it's all very funny to pretend no this has uh, happened to me though that's that's the funny bit. yes well yes, <laughs> fortunately not for me uh before we get on with the show we have our trivia question uh so i ask the what country has the long the longest coastline what country has the mm-hmm. longest coastline Yes. So you want me to answer this question now, or should I wait until the end oh, of the... You can, tr- you can try. I can try right now. Uh, Australia. Good guess, but not the answer. You will get the answer later. All right, so this is the week beginning November the 30th, and we're breaking the record. We're breaking the streak. We're breaking the streak because I'm going to start this week. November 30th, 1979. Pink Floyd releases probably the most important album of my life. Uh, Pink Floyd releases The Wall. Love that record. In one way or the other, I've had it since 1979. I've still got the original vinyl that I bought. It sounds terrible because it's scratched into oblivion. And uh, it was one of those records that was a weird foundational record for me as well. I remember getting the the single for... um, Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 with... I have that. The, I have the single. I actually had the the original single with the Gerald Scarf paintings on it. Is the B-side of that one when the Tigers broke free? No, One of My Turns. One of My Turns, that's right. Yes, yes. The album Pink Floyd The Wall, honestly, I haven't listened to the album itself probably a couple of years because there's literally nothing left for me to hear. If I listen to it, I generally listen to like, is there anybody out there, which is the live version, or I listen mm-hmm. to the Roger Waters live version. But the album itself, I literally haven't listened to this. Like I said, there's almost nothing left for me to hear on that album. I've listened to it so much. I was going to say, well, I, I go the opposite way. Like I love the studio recording. So mm-hmm. even though I don't hear anything new in it when i listen to it i still listen to it it's like wrapping up in an old sweater or having something to sort of scream along with at you know at the angst and horror of the world around me as it as it swirls and makes me want to isolate myself from all humanity 
Which is sort of what the album's going for, I think. Yeah. But. Where I go with the live versions is because there's a couple of songs that didn't make it to the original release just because of time right. restraints. Because there's a song called What Shall We Do Now, which is really, right. really cool on the live version. It's also in the movie. And The Show Must Go On has a couple of extra verses to it. Yeah. And there's another instrumental piece called The Last Few Bricks or something like that. It's, uh Right, right. It's kind of like a suite uh, of uh, all the other songs. One of my biggest notorious events that whenever I was in high school, I mean, we went to high school together, so you know this about me, but other people might not. I was, I, I loved pranks, but I was also like covert about them. Like I did so much shit that nobody even, not only did I not get caught, people didn't have no idea we did it. You and I did a lot of stuff together and people didn't find out about it till like years after we graduated. But one That's the beauty of good quality pranks yep. out there. So one thing that we did was uh, we had this one teacher, Mr. Ribello. He was really into movies. And mm-hmm. it was English literature. <laughs> at, at, at the expense of teaching us English literature. Yeah, it was English <laughs> literature, but we watched more movies in that thing than, than anything else. I, we saw yeah. Cool Hand Luke. We saw The Hustler, a bunch of classic films. Yeah. So at, at any rate, we're, um, you know, we're all done with the school year. We get a couple more days. And I had convinced this guy to let us screen the movie of Pink Floyd, The Wall. And he said, is there, uh, is there a lot of vulgarities in this movie? I go, no. No, not really. He goes, well, I don't want like people walking by my classroom and hearing the F word. I was like, oh, no, 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 certainly not. Uh, I did not tell him about the excessive violence and, and you know blatant nudity and stuff like that. I, I didn't mention that at all. So right. <laughs> so we watched Pink Floyd the Wall in this English literature class over you know spanned out over a couple of days. There was this one girl in our class was severely Catholic, and when it got up to the scene in the movie, the <laughs> the children are walking in the classroom and falling into a meat grinder. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not gory. It's kind of you know it's. It's kind of gory, I guess, but it's not gross. You know what I mean? It's not yep. It's not made to look real. That girl, like, ran arms flailing out of the room. Like, ah! Oh, man. <laughs> and I remember, like, you coming up to me in the next class, and you're like, hey. what did you do to that girl? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hey, I remember seeing the film. I saw it in the cinema, Cinema 140, yep. where, which Bill and I mentioned over and over again, yep. but that's where I saw it. And I hated every second of it. Mm. Absolutely hated it. I couldn't, couldn't stay. It, it turned me off to the album for a couple of years, too. It's very... And it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't until I was much, a uh, much older teen, like 15, 16, 17 years old almost, mm. that it clicked. Like, I watched it on Laserdisc at a kid's house, a friend's house. Oh, my God, this is amazing. I just didn't understand what I was seeing when I saw it at 11 years old in right. 81, I think, when it came out. It's very phantasmagoric. Uh, and you said it to me a couple of years ago, and I was like, you're absolutely right. Pink Floyd, The Wall, the album, the movie, everything about it is the perfect album for a 16-year-old angst-ridden teenage boy. Yep. Or, or girl. Yeah. Uh, it, angst, it's, angst doesn't care about gender. Yeah, well, so, I, don't, um, I don't know I, what it's like to be a 16-year-old girl. I've never been one. Uh, but I was a 16-year-old yeah. boy that was obsessed with that album. Yes. And, well, I have I've have given this album and a companion book that's not related to the album at all to several of my relatives who've become 15 or 16 years old over the years. Mm. And I always say the same thing, like, welcome to the hardest, what are going to feel like the hardest years of your life. It's going to suck. But it can be better if you kind of get familiar with this and know that you're not all by yourself. You know, in most cases, that's, that's been panacea that has helped to sort of streamline those angsty years because it gives a voice to the feelings that you may not be able to articulate at that age. And, and it's just right at that time. That was me snapping my fingers to show. 
All right, next up, December the 1st. Hit it. All right, December the 1st, 1928. National League President John Hadler first proposes a baseball rule change calling for a 10th man or designated hitter to bat in place of the pitcher. In a weird uh, switch of irony, if you think about today, the National League doesn't use the designated hitter rule, but they were the ones who approved it, and the American League does, and they turned it down in 1928. The rationale behind it was you didn't want to give the pitcher of whoever was on the mound the opportunity to bean the pitcher who was going to be on the mound next to maybe make it so that they couldn't pitch. So putting a designated hitter in was the way that you sort of protected your pitcher from being uh, inadvertently or intentionally whacked in the arm so they couldn't throw the ball hard. It's probably one of the better rules that has been added to baseball since the 1920s. That has the most sinister overtones that I never even thought about. Right. I thought it would be like to protect the pitcher you know, that way he's not swinging the bat and ruining his arm or whatever. And when I was a kid, we, you know, we play, we played kickball for recess. I am not outstandingly coordinated person. And I definitely wasn't a very coordinated young kid. And I was also very small, so I wasn't very athletic. And basically, don't throw the ball to me. I'm going to drop it. I'm not going to catch it. I'm, right. And, yep. you know, rather than get yelled at by the kids that were good at it or laughed at by the kids that were almost good at it or whatever, I just didn't want to, but I had to play. That was, like, the rule. So I was like, I'll be designated hitter. That way I didn't have to play in the outfield. All I did was hit. All I did was kick the ball. Right. I didn't know anything about sports. All I knew is that I could use that and get out of it. I was, again, there's more to it. There's protecting the batter from hurting himself by swinging the bat. That's written reason for using the designated hitter rule. But definitely it's to prevent you from being tempted to, like, clonk the pitcher and take him out of the game. I know how we can win the game. Murder. I was somebody who also benefited from the designated hitter rule because I was terrible at baseball. In Little League, designated hitters batted 10. Even if your team had a rollicking good (laughs) inning, chances are I wasn't going to get up to bat until a point either where I couldn't do any damage or I couldn't prevent us from getting runs. Uh, And when I wasn't a designated hitter, I was the worst right fielder in the whole uh, universe. They could have had me just stay in the car, and I would have done better. <laughs> just go play in the parking lot, Jeff. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I re- I remember yeah. like if like in the kickball thing, like everybody was like, you know, fighting over getting to play first base because that you know that's the position that gets like the most action. And I'm like, the hell, I want shortstop. Then I don't think they really do anything. Shortstop a third base, right. hook me up. First base is definitely a tough position to play. Yeah. Like stressing out at eight years old in the outfield, like, oh my god. He's going to kick it out here. Yep. Oh, it's going to come to me. No! No, I, I think I played for three whole years so that my brothers could get onto the same team. Like you could legacy onto the same All team right. if you had a brother. So I was terrible and I didn't like to play, but I went to every practice and I played every game until both my brothers made it onto the team. And then I was like, see ya. <laughs> um, not my, not my sport. Moving on to December the 2nd. December the 2nd, 2013. First episode of season one of the Rick and Morty cartoon. Oh, no. Nice. Yeah, it's the the uh, one of the newer. Well, I'm gonna say one of the newer, but that's seven years ago. But one of the produced for Adult Swim cartoons that really took off in the first couple of seasons that it was on. I think there's a fifth season too, but I know four have aired by now if they're not already in reruns. Yeah, fun show. Um, got some so-so press because of some foolishness that fans had done. Yeah, the fans of that and, show uh, are just they got such a a cult following. You know what I mean? Like like yep. the. Like this, it's got a huge following. Don't get me wrong, but the people that love it obsess over it. It's that like yeah, that, and it's yeah. always sunny. Yeah, I agree. And the characters have a lot in common. Like they're all sort of dislikable, right. and and uh, and 
it sort of plays on the caricatures of the worst traits that human beings tend to have and how they influence the world around them. So yeah, um, it's a pretty funny show. It explored some great sci-fi concepts in a way that made them interesting to think about. Again, like the idea of a, a sort of entirely unified planet-sized organism with component parts that were individuals but not individuals. And the idea of like the me-seeks who could do simple tasks and then disappear from existence and what existence means. Like, there's some really fun stuff to talk about in, in the episodes of that show. It's it's fun. And it's, it was written by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon, who, who, I don't know if you ever watched Community. They were the guys that wrote Community. Dan Harmon was the Community. Oh, no, yeah, Community's a great show. Uh, minus the one season Dan Harmon wasn't there. And it was a lot of fun. A more traditional sitcom, but... I'm one of those people that, like, the most obvious thing could be right in front of me, and I'll be like, uh-huh. Like completely oblivious to it. The most minor detail I'll pick up on, but if it's if it's right in my face, I'm an idiot. Right. I didn't pick up on the fact that Rick and Morty is essentially. It started out as a cartoon about Doc and Dark Marty. Brown yeah. and yep. yeah, yeah. I had no yes. idea. And it was it was like an internet flash cartoon that was sexualizing the relationship between Doc Brown and and Marty and. It, that was Justin Roiland's cartoon. That, it was kind of funny. It was like a one-joke premise, but he was able to make it last for a bit. Yeah, but whenever that was presented to me, I was like, I never even picked right, up on right. that. That's like, uh, somebody just brought this to my attention. Like, how many years has it been? Um, Married with Children? You know the show Married with I Children, do. right? Yeah. yeah. You figure I would have picked up on this, you know, 30-some-odd years ago. The creators of that show were huge wrestling fans. Right. So you have the Rhodes that live next door, Dusty Rhodes, yeah. and they live next door to who? The Bundies. Bundies, King King Kong Bundy. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I don't think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they were named after wrestlers. I I, I never, never knew that. Huh. I did not know that until just now. So there you go. Ah, good. Well, I don't feel as like as big as a ding dong. All right. All right. Moving on. December the third. Yes. What do you got? December the third in 2017, the first pizza party in space is held by astronauts of the International Space Station. We'll we'll get to the actual story. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to get this out of the way first. Okay. I had my life ruined for me not long ago by my friend's wife. Did she have a pizza party for you in space? Very close. Okay. I, growing up in high school, as were you, was a big fan of the heavy metal band Wasp. I was, yes. And their first single, arguably their first single, was a song called I Wanna Be Somebody. Yep. And it is a great song. Okay. I love that song. But one day, my friend's wife is singing, I want a pizza party, pizza party too. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot hear that song, uh, which was one of my favorite songs. Without uh, hearing definitely pizza fa- party? Yeah, and now all I hear is, I want a pizza party, pizza party too. And now, when, even if I just hear the term pizza party, because when we were doing the pre-show, you're like, oh yeah, first pizza party in space. I'm like, I want a pizza party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I can top that, so I'm not even going to try. Um, yeah. But I, all I know is that I, I want a pizza party. I want a pizza party soon. What what kind of pizza? Was it sponsored or was it homemade? I, or? I wish I could tell you. My, my guess is that they probably put some high school kid with pimples into the space shuttle. And they said, take these to the International Space Station. He said, yes, sir. And 30 <laughs> minutes later, he was like out there knocking on the door. Hoping that you'd get a good tip from either the Russians or the Americans that were on the International Space Station so that it would be worth the trip. And he knew he'd be reimbursed for his gas, which is good. So I was a pizza delivery boy for a while in high school. And uh, I understand the angst that that poor chap must have had. 
on his way to the ISS with his probably, I'm going to guess, like, you know, everybody orders the same thing. Like, large pepperoni. Uh, <laughs> and uh, can you get extra pepperonis on that? Yeah, of course we can. All right. And a double cheese. And that's probably <laughs> the two lamest pizzas in the world that they brought up to the ISS. I wish I could do a good uh, Russian accent. The whole... I'm trying to do a Russian accent, but in my mind, I keep sounding like death from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, Who ordered the Hawaiian? Who ordered the Hawaiian pizza? Yeah, that's much better than I could do. This has pineapple. What is this? The pineapple does not go on the pizza. What? Why not just order garbage, huh? <laughs> that's it. Uh, You're off space station. Uh, and then the International Space Station breaks apart. The Russian side goes one way. The other side goes the other way with their Hawaiian pizza and... All I could think of is if it was like Papa Gino's pizza. I know and you know that those space station toilets aren't exactly ideal <laughs> for dealing with intestinal distress, True. especially the kind that comes at the business end of a Papa Gino's pizza. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored in any way by the Papa Gino's Corporation or the I, Xlax Corporation, who may be, in fact, the same corporation. I'm so glad they are like like two clicks away from being out of business because I don't want to like accidentally have to ingest Papagino's ever again. I literally would rather have the box it comes in. Yeah, uh, they definitely set the bar for like chain store pizza um, <laughs> back in the olden days. And it was always like my dad used to love their pizza. My dad also used to just eat butter. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell you, but my dad always, his was always like, oh, and then when Domino's became a thing, he was like, this is the best pizza in the whole world. It's just salt. I think, yeah, it's, it's, you just eat salt and sugar, you know, pour that in your mouth and you'll be all set. Uh, speaking of setting the bar for fast foods, etc., December the 4th, 1954, the first Burger King opens in Miami, Florida. Nice. That's a chain that's gone all over the place. So, yeah, they I don't dislike Burger King. I don't really eat fast food too much anymore. You know, the lockdowns and the covids and all that just kind of the thing with fast food is it's supposed to be a convenience. Right. And it was no longer a convenience. Uh, there was a lot of like things you had to do with, uh, you know, during the, the lockdowns and stuff like right. that. So I just like kind of gave up on fast food. And when you give up on fast food and then you have it. Like months later, it, yeah, it, it, it does. It throws your body into like the equivalent of, of all of your body parts are telling your brain like, what What are you trying to do? What What is this? Are you yeah. are we Are we gonna die now? Is that it? This is what, what it's you, like when we die. What have you, you know? done? Yeah. What have you done? Are you out of your and, mind? We can't eat that. And and my problem at Burger King is I like so many things. Yeah. That I end up get, like getting like a one of each kind of deal. And my bill ends up being like $13, dollars $15, which right. is insane if you're for fast food. And then I'm like just like shoving the last bit down my throat with my thumb because my tongue refuses to swallow it on its own. But when I used to eat meat, I haven't eaten meat now for almost two years, but I used to really like the Whopper. That was their signature sandwich because it was big. It smelled good, tasted good. Yep. And, and there's a point in, I don't know if it happens in everybody's life, but there's a point in my life where I've sort of stopped being interested in fast food. And it was just because I learned how to make so much of it. Yeah. Like I, it's, it's not hard to make a hamburger. It's not hard to make a hamburger and put lettuce, tomato, mayo, pickles, and onions on it. It's not hard. Anybody can do it. So the time it takes me to go buy hamburger, which I could make multiple hamburgers. And for the same amount as that one hamburger, it's there, you know? Yeah. So it's hard for me to justify like going to buy them I, again. I still thought their food was was good. I just I just grew out of it. Same with the other places too. Burger King is the Pepsi 
of the burger joints. <laughs> we don't have Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, They're not owned by PepsiCo, though, are they? That would be no. Ironic. They act, at, at one point they uh, they switched over to Pepsi, and then they ended up going back to Coke years later. But yeah, that was like a famous thing that we do Pepsi now. The the reason why like the number two fast food franchise is Subway. Okay. McDonald's is number one. Subway is number two. Do you know why Subway is number two and it's not Burger King? Because well, I've eaten at Subway. Yeah, because Burger King. And I know number two when I taste yeah. it. <laughs> oh no! Wait. Burger King has always constantly tried to be McDonald's, and you can't. You're never gonna right. succeed if you're just trying to be your competitor. And oh my right. God, Burger King has tried so many ridiculous not the mcdonald's hasn't tried ridiculous things over the years but like burger right. king the, the my favorite one was do you remember burger king tried sit down dining for a little while i i do not have any memory of that in my in my brain at well all. you might have been busy that month because that's about how long it lasted <laughs> like can you imagine walking into a Burger King and say, like, would you like to be seated? And you get to the dining room and then a waitress comes over and you're like, um, how's the chicken sandwich today? Oh, I'll have a number seven combo yeah. meal, extra large, supersize it uh, and throw in some chicken fries on yeah. the side. Right there. The- and yeah. And then like and then they bring the food over to your table. Yeah. This was a thing at Burger King. Like it, it flopped super hard. Like uh, it flopped worse than the McDLT. It lasted all of I used to love that sandwich when I was when they were when they were selling those out in the world. I love the fact that it came with like planet destroying amounts of styrofoam as well. I was well. about to say I like the I like the uh, fact that I had to like open up my hatchback just to fit the package into my car. <laughs> It was it was like as big as an ironing board. <laughs> but Burger King still number one on my on my list is the uh, the torpedo there, the chicken sandwich. The chicken yep. sandwich, yeah. And every now and then they used to do like the Burger Buddies, which was like three little sliders. Those were good. I could eat like nine of those. Going um going vegetarian. Have you tried the Impossible Whopper? Nope. I haven't tried the Impossible yeah. anything. I don't really like textured vegetable protein or TVP, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of hamburger substitute tends to be made of. And I don't know if Impossible meat is made mm-hmm. of that, but uh, I find the flavor and texture to be off-putting, so I, I don't do it. I'm for like I make my own stuff with lentils and other things to make hamburgers or hamburger-like substances. I've had it basically with the Whopper. There's so much other stuff on a Whopper: the mayonnaise, the ketchup, the onions, the pickles. There's so much other stuff you barely taste the meat anyway. So yeah. to me, it was comparable. It wasn't bad. No, yeah, all right. Well, I'll, have to, I'll give it a shot at some point if I ever feel a need for an impossible Whopper. Impossible blur or possible. I don't know. They need a better name for that thing. Let's go on to December the 5th. December the 5th, 1623. Going all the way back. The first copies purchased of William Shakespeare's first folio that collected his plays posthumously into a single volume. And it was bought by a guy named Edward Deering. Why this is interesting, I know Bill is scratching his head and thinking, what does this have to do with that? No, I was just, just thinking that Deering sounds like code for something else. It's not. It's just the name of a dude from 1623 who liked Shakespeare plays. A super fan. Shakespeare super fan. Friend of the show. The only written stuff that Shakespeare actually, that exists, is like his signature on a contract. So all the plays that we read as kids and, 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 and see as adults and all those things, all the writing that's in those is taken from the recollections of the actors that acted at the Globe Theater that were transcribed after Shakespeare had died. All the Shakespeare plays that we see are based, the oral tradition of history, they're told to, the lines are respoken by the actors and then written down, and that is compiled into the plays that we know of Othello and Two Gentlemen of Verona, Merchant of Venice, whatever. And if you... 
have some spare time and can get to Stratford, where he's from, you can see all the Shakespeare stuff that's there, but none of it was his. So it, I went to the house where he was born, which is now just the outline of a foundation because it burned down in the 1600s. Oh. I went to the house that he lived in with Anne Hathaway, not not the same Anne Hathaway that we celebrated the birthday of a few weeks back, uh, who's currently alive, she, but his she looks, wife. She looks, she looks and great for 400 years she old. She looks yeah. fantastic for someone who's 500 years old. You'll stand there in the kitchen of Anne Hathaway's house and the tour guide will say like, now this is the sort of plate that Shakespeare would have licked clean in his house. And then you'd ask like, well, is that one of Shakespeare's actual plates? No, none of the things that Shakespeare owned are existing any longer. Like, okay. How about the table? And it's like, this is what Shakespeare would have sat at if he was at a table. This is the kind of chair that Shakespeare would have sat in if he was at a chair. Now, none of it is his stuff. It's all just contemporary to that time period. And it's sort of like... That is hilarious. Was this dude even real? I was about to say, you know? here's like um, one of the most famous people in world history. And now I'm even questioning if he actually ever existed. Right. Well, he existed, but I, again, it's like one of those, like, it's, there's, all you've got is a signature. Did he, though? So... Did he really did exist? You, who really wrote that name? Maybe it was it was Bob <laughs> who was trying to just get out of the debt. You know, it's car. my name is William Shakespeare. I'll be leasing this theater for one season. There you go. And then he runs out on his creditors, deadbeat dad. It'll be awesome as if like what? if William Shakespeare was like talked like an idiot. And everybody that transcribes the place is like, yeah, I don't like that line. We got to change that around, make it sound a little better. <laughs> I'm gonna punch it up a little bit for you. Yeah, your friend of mine, Patrick Stewart, has been reading the uh, sonnet a day from yep. Shakespeare. Are you gonna tell me those are forged too? Cool. Mm, not telling you they're forged. <laughs> I'm just saying that I don't know. Well, I guess maybe I don't know if those are written, but I think the only thing that they actually can verify that's his signature is that's his is his signature. Huh. So now, anyway, you can see all of those folio pages. At the like the National Gallery, the National Museum in in London, they're all there behind glass and sp- spread out so you can see them. And they're in the same part of the museum that has like John Lennon and Paul McCartney's lyrics to stuff, it's handwritten and some other things. It's really as neat. if those are real. As if those. Because Paul real. McCartney's dead. <laughs> all right, moving on yes. to December the sixth, nineteen sixty four. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer Christmas Special. Makes its debut. Oh, I remember that. I remember watching that as a kid, all the way up through my own kids being kids. And now I tell my therapist about the terrifying nightmares <laughs> I have about red-nosed reindeers. Yeah, that's one of those, you know, traditional things that, that everyone watches and everyone knows. And it was the, f- I guess it was the first one of that style. And then for a short time, maybe 10 years, every year, one or two new ones in that sort of stop-motion animation style right. from Rankin Bass or another studio in Japan would come out. There was that one. Good. Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Right. Uh, uh, the Year Without Santa Claus. They all had this a very similar right. uh, animation yep. style. Yep. And then there was actually the same stu- uh, the same studio did a feature-length movie for Halloween ca- called, right. M- called Mad, Monster, Mad Party. Monster Party. Yeah. And... Uh, which has one funny scene in it. Uh, no. Yeah, it's it's uh, not great. <laughs> I I but I mean I like want it, it to be great, but, but it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I watched it with my kids, and they were like, "Do we have to watch any more of this?" And I'm like, "Fine, go away." And then I turned it off because I didn't want to watch any more of it either. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not gonna let them know they won. Right. You can't. <laughs> right. Of course. Fine. Oh, uh, but there was also what Jack Frost, what Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, the Little Drummer Boy. Yep. 
There's a whole bunch yeah, of Yeah, and then there was Rudolph's know. shiny new year, too. That's right, with Happy, the baby new year. Those ears. Oh, my God, those ears. Caught the baby new year for 2020 and just dropped him into the ocean someplace. <laughs> Sorry, Happy. It has to be this way. <laughs> and then Splash. <laughs> I used to love all those Christmas specials when I was a kid. Like I said at the top of the show, I'm not really a big Christmas fan. I get anxiety. I used to love all the Christmas specials because most of them came on CBS. And they had that little animation before. It was like a a CBS special event. It would be like... And just just yeah. the sound of that is just like ooh exciting. There was another one too that like not a lot of people seem to remember. Let's see if you remember it. It wasn't claymation animation. It was just it was traditional you know cell drawing animation. Uh, it was called mm-hmm. "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Oh yeah, with, with the mice. mice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the little genius mouse that breaks the clock. I yeah. like that one, and I yeah. still hum the songs from it with a, even a miracle needs a hand. The studio that put those out is is Rankin Bass, and they used animators from Japan, from Toei Studios, and some other places. They also did the televised versions of The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that looks just the, like... Yeah, that looks just like that um, same animation and style. The Return of the King, so... All right, all right, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays, and I started the segment, so you start the birthdays. Super. Uh, November 30th, 1955, the literal voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, who's been in a bunch of other stuff as well, but is bo- most known for being the voice of the Dark Knight and Batman the Animated Series, a bunch of different Skyons off, off of that, including the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and some of the films and the uh, most recently, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover where he played the Batman who'd killed Superman and in, in live action. And uh, it's a fantastic voice actor and a generally great guy by all accounts. So happy birthday, Kevin yeah. Conroy. All right, uh, next, moving on to December the 1st, 1970. Uh, a bit of a crush of mine. Oh, she's she's from, like, right near you, too, right? Yeah, Sarah Silverman, 1970, December 1st. Yeah, she's from up here, I think, uh, either Northern Mass or New yeah, Hampshire. I'm, pretty, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's New yep. Hampshire. All right, yeah, she was the, she was the character of Vanellope in yep, Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph in the Sugar Rush game. Yeah, yeah. those movies are way better than they need to be. I, I like the first yeah. one. I, don't, I never saw the second one. The second one. one's fantastic, too. I first, like, noticed her. She was a... I mean, she was on Saturday Night Live for, like, a heartbeat, but I don't remember her. But she was, like, a... Almost almost like a background character in this Something About Mary. She was one of Mary's friends. And I was like, wow, that girl's really... She's got dark hair and dark eyes, so I'm, like, drawn to it. Right, right. Uh, she was in School of Rock. She played the uh, the bitchy girlfriend. I've never seen School of Rock, and I only saw uh, what was the other one? Something about Mary. I think I saw that in the cinema. Yeah. So well, it's not something I've gone back. Yeah. To. Well, yeah. It's like you know, blinking, you miss her. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yep. Uh, who do we got next? December second, nineteen eighty-one. Uh, Britney Spears, girl from Disney, who became a super big pop star, sort of dropped out of the mainstream for real, and is now sort of a celebrity because she was a celebrity. I don't know if that makes any sense, but she still gets tons of press when she does anything. Right. But she hasn't done anything. Uh, last but. time I was out in Vegas, so that was like five years ago, she had a residency in Vegas. Oh, okay. Which is usually, that's, you know, that's a retirement home. Yeah. You know? I mean, Donnie and Marie have a residency in Vegas, you know? No. Branson <laughs> is a, Branson is the retirement home. <laughs> Branson, Missouri. Yeah. But Vegas is Vegas is that last apartment you get before you go to the assisted living facility. Reno. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Reno. Like I remember one year, like we, we drove cross country, my brother and I. We drove through Vegas and on the way home we drove through Reno. And I just remember seeing the marquee and like Sinbad was performing. I was like, Yep, 
That's what Rito's all about. <laughs> so next going on, December the 3rd, 1960, Julianne Moore. I give her a hell of a prop, I guess, because she took over for Jodie Foster in the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal. Because Jodie Foster took one look at the script and was like, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> Julianne Moore, I mean, she was fine in that movie. I guess that's okay. But, you know, good for her for trying to step into shoes like that huge. I liked her in Magnolia. I like her in every, just about everything she's been in. She's a really good actress. Yeah, she is. I- Quality of the stuff that she gets in is usually sort of that, I don't want to say like artsy, but that sort of adult drama style mm-hmm. film. And... Whenever I bump in there or any of that stuff, I'm always like, oh, hey, yeah, I forgot how good she is. Yeah. And you know. I think we brought up a couple of weeks ago the remake of Carrie. Yes. Yes. And she was the mom. And mm-hmm. that she was probably the best part about that movie. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. She would do atonements where she would like cut herself and stuff like that. Right, like, right. like crazy monks do that kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Yep. Julianne Moore. All right. Next up. December 4th, yep. 1858. Chester Greenwood, who no one is going to know who Chester Greenwood I is, but he's the don't. man who... <laughs> Who, at 15 years old, invented earmuffs. He was born in Farmington, Maine. And you would think that someone would have invented earmuffs before 1858. And that it would have been somebody who was older than 15 who had cold (laughs) ears and was like, I don't want to use a hat because hats are for squares. And I don't want to wear a scarf because my mom makes me wear one when I go to church on Sunday. I know! I'll take these two things that look like ring dings and I'll stick them on my ears with some tape and that's kind of what he did and invented earmuffs and went on to become the world's largest earmuff magnet no I don't know if that's the case or not. <laughs> invented you know saw a need and filled it the problem was he didn't have the vision bill because he went on to try and patent the nose muff failed miserably and then the nipple mittens <laughs> that didn't go anywhere but the earmuffs yeah. Chester Green- Greenwood oh, thanks Chester <laughs> what a guy you uh, December the 5th 1932 Little Richard yeah Woo! yeah I can't do his voice the way that you yep. can. There Somebody in this room has seen Little Richard live. I wonder who that could be. Let me wait. I'm going to ask myself. No, it wasn't me. It was me. Oh, oh of course it oh, was. Oh, he was so funny. And it, like, you know how he's got that catch catchphrase, I guess you would call it, where he goes, shut up. He says that all the time. Shut up. Yes. He's over there on stage and he's like, I am the original rock and roll star. This is the original man. This is the original face. Shut up. Because <laughs> he's he's had so much work done, and the best part right, the right. best part of that concert, and this is a while back because uh, Buddy Cianci was there. Uh, Buddy Cianci, the mayor of Providence, the mayor of Providence. Yeah. yeah, this is before he went to prison. Now, so that's how wild far back. Which time? Right, at any time. But he was there, and he got up on stage, and he presented Little Richard with the key to the city of Providence, and you know everybody because Buddy Cianci was loved. Everybody loved that guy. And everybody's whooping and cheering. And he grabs Little Rich's microphone. He looks at the audience and goes, shut up. It was magical. Yep. It's, uh, I think Little Richard's last, uh, like legit, his last hit hit single was in like 57. And he just kept, he toured worldwide on this, those first like couple records until he died. I've said it before. Put it on my gravestone because it holds true. When you got a cow that gives chocolate milk, you drink chocolate milk. All right, and wrap it up. December 6, 1955, Massachusetts' own Stephen Wright, the stand-up comedian and sort of man who ushered in the idea of of super-duper abstract comedy uh, on the stand-up stage, non-sequiturs and jokes that had no punchline, but that was why they were funny. Was his birthday? I mean, he certainly wasn't the first one-liner comedian. That you know, that goes to either Henny Youngman or Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, Stephen Ray, he just had that like that slow and deadpan delivery, and like he didn't tell stories, and it wasn't really even jokes. It was just these like non sequiturs. Like my favorite one was, but he's like, I filled my swimming pool up with dry ice so I could go swimming without getting wet. Real short, dumb stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember him saying like, I have a one-to-one scale map of the United States. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it's okay. It's yeah. funny, well, I guess. So yeah, but I mean, like, like that kind of like weird. Your brain is expecting something different, and it gets this abstract stuff. It does get yeah. funny. Stephen Wright, everybody, December sixth. Uh, Stephen Wright, I have it on good authority. Would not know anything about the worst song ever. Uh, the worst song ever this week. Who's our contender? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's. it's it's filling me with nausea just to bring it up. Okay, so imagine we're traveling back in time. It puts me off my lunch. We're not only going back to the year that the song was released, which was 1989, but we're going to use the song as a springboard to go back 50 or so years prior to that and randomly string together facts that sound important. Of course, the song that I'm that I'm speaking of is the epic Billy Joel song. <laughs> ish thing called We Didn't Start the Fire, which has admittedly a singable bridge and chorus and everything else and it sucks um but let's let's play a clip yeah. so that you can revel in this terribleness with us You know, every time I hear this song, I, I I almost picture like a southern auctioneer. You know what I mean? It's because like the the yeah. This just like <laughs> like it sounds like sounds like the Pee Wee Herman theme song when you do that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, you're not far off, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Billy Joel, it's it, there's like three stages of Billy Joel, like the 1970s Billy Joel. When you you take stuff like um, I seen lights go down on Broadway, say goodbye to Hollywood. The whole, the whole glass glass houses record is a masterpiece. It's just fantastic. And that was in my little pea brain mind was like that's like the last really good thing that he did. This 1970s Billy Joel, right, where the music was good and he still looked like he was holding his own. Then you have the 80s Billy Joel. That's like, you know, he hooked up with Christy Brinkley, and then all of a sudden it was like that era of Billy Joel. 80s Billy Joel, not my bag of dope. But he was still kind of holding his own, kind of like, you know, looking like Billy Joel. Oh, he was like the cool uncle, like, hey, you know, it's Uncle Billy. Yeah. He's look, he's still he's still rocking. At least he's got a good looking wife now. Wow, yeah. look at that. Check that out. Yeah, you know, and he's there doing like the it's the 1950s, weren't they great? That's where I learned all about rock and roll. Blah 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 blah. And like after three songs of that, it's like now I know why the punks did all that heroin. <laughs> I mean, we didn't set the fire. Let's let's call a spade a spade. That song is freaking pretentious as shit. It's it's pretentious and stupid at the same time. It's pre stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So, like, it's just a list of encyclopedia, like, random encyclopedia events with no context put into them that are, I don't know what they're meant to show. And they don't mean anything with regard to the stupid bridge and chorus, which is, we didn't start the fire. But it's like, you could take the only thing that, about this song that is at all worthwhile in this day and age is that you can make up your own lyrics to it super duper easy when you hear it in the car <laughs> and make yourself laugh. Picked my nose, stubbed my toe, went into the liquor store, bought a... <laughs> <laughs> bought a can saw man maybe when i get home i'll eat some ham and it's it's the same it's the same thing over and over again and you still sound just as dumb as him saying like jfk blown away what else do i have to say i don't know put it in context billy <laughs> huh and you could and you can't tell me you can't because you did that song the down easter alexa which made me actually sympathize with the bank that loaned the money to the fishermen in that song <laughs> I mean, how much more can you say other than this song is terrible? I don't know. It's one that doesn't have longevity. And it's a shame because it eclipses it eclipses a much better song that was similar thematically, which was Pressure, which came out in like 82. Yes. 82 or 83. That song is fan-bloody-tastic. Yeah, that song is it's fun. It's tight. It's interesting. It's really fun to listen to no matter when you hear the it. the video was psychotic. Oh, yeah. The video is psychotic. Right. Yeah, And you're not wrong. And I don't even remember if there was a video for We Didn't Start the Fire because every time I heard that song, I wanted to leap out of whatever vehicle I was in or run to another room in the house that I was living at. Yeah, no, there is a video. Um, he's wearing sunglasses. Just like all the videos yes. after Uptown Girl. So he's keeping the faith. <laughs> this song actually did not go to number one. We, we try to stick with the number one songs or that's been our theme lately. But right. uh, this song was actually a cocked block from... Uh, the number one place by Millie Vanilli. <laughs> but we just... An infinitely better song yeah. than We Didn't Start but, the Fire. But, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. But we uh, we just talked about Millie Vanilli like two weeks ago, and there's literally yes. nothing more to say about them. So, uh, yeah. Well, except yep. Millie Vanilli stripped of their Grammy. What else do I have to say? <laughs> we Didn't Start the Fire. But at any rate, uh, before we wrap up the show, I did have a trivia question at the beginning. <laughs> I asked, yes. I asked you, I asked you. Um, you asked me. Yep. And the trivia question was, what country has the longest coastline? Yes. The most coastline or the longest coastline. The longest coastline. And for those of you who have already, your brain has already forgotten, I said Australia and Bill told me I was wrong, which I, isn't Australia just all coastline? Yeah. The whole country's a coastline. Yep. The an- it's a whole continent. Right. The answer is Canada. Now you either hung up on me or... <laughs> I'm, but mentally, I'm drawing a picture of Canada with my mind, and I'm not seeing as much coastline as there is in Australia, right. only because I do not have a one-to-one scale map of the world in my head, <laughs> right. much like Stephen Wright does. Here's the way it works. In the northern part of Canada, there is yeah. so much crinkly bits and weird shapes and all that, that if you were to map it out inch by inch, it is the longest coastline. Does that does that have to have like the Northwest Passage like included? Because like that still isn't there. Yeah, right. But no, because it's so oddly shaped, where it goes up and it's jagged and it's like zigzaggy and all that. Because there's so much of that, inch for inch, it is the longest coastline uh, of any country. Well, there you go. Congratulations, Canada. Yep. You're bigger and better than Australia. Did something right. You got no kangaroos. You got no saltwater crocodiles. You got no dangerous ants that'll kill you in your sleep. But they got moose. You got moose. You got Tim Hortons. And you got more coastline than, than them. So there you oh, go. Oh, and, and smoked brisket. Oh. All right. So that's wrapping it up. We'll see you next right. week, guys. Have a good week. Uh, say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. 
subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week and it'll probably be better.